Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They say happy mummy, happy baby. And I can tell you that when my baby slept, I was one happy mummy. And sleeping was something they always did well. In fact, so keen was I on getting them to sleep that I brought them a natural mat mattress to make them as comfortable as possible. So I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Natural Mat Baby, who've been hand-making 100% natural and organic baby and children's mattresses from their Devon workshop for over 20 years and were the first company in the UK to create a completely natural nursery mattress. These mattresses combine carefully selected natural materials, including organic coir, natural latex and organic lamb's wool for supreme comfort and breathability. Did you know babies can't regulate their body temperatures so it's super important that they sleep on a mattress that helps them do this. Natural mats materials are naturally breathable and self-ventilating, helping your baby get the good night's sleep that all of you need. Hypoallergenic, completely chemical free, these mattresses are the ideal choice for your baby and you. Confession, I saw how well my baby slept and so I bought myself a topper from their adult range and it's dreamy. Learn more about the importance of a natural night's sleep at naturalmat.co.uk or head to their Notting Hill showroom to have a browse. Listeners can receive 20% off their first purchase of all mattresses and bedding in Natural Mat's nursery category by using the code PARENTHOOD20, all capital letters, at checkout online or in store. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. One of the things I'm most proud of is having difficult conversations, broaching subjects that many might be fearful, shy or embarrassed talking about. Because these are often the most important ones, the concerns that we have when we can't share with our friends, colleagues or parents. Sex is something that many of us don't like to talk about. But even if you do, sex when you're about to become or are a parent is something no one talks about. My guest today is Irene Fair, a sex and intimacy coach who believes that myths perpetuated by society lead to women feeling disconnected from their partners, misunderstood and even unseen. Rather than seeing themselves as broken by pregnancy and childbirth, Irene sees this change in libido as a natural and beautiful thing, even if society tells her that this is not the case. Irene, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you so much for, you know, having this important conversation I just think you know supporting so many women um antenatally and postnatally sex is something they've often just not talked about it's like as soon as we become parents we're not sexual beings whereas it's acceptable for us to be sexual beings before we got to that point um so thank you thank you so much um 
why is sex so important in a relationship? Is it possible to have a relationship that's intimate and loving? Of course, it is possible, but it also depends on what is it that your what is your dream? What is it that you are desiring, and what is really important to you? So, we live in a world where everything is possible and people find ways to meet their needs. But again, it really depends on what your needs are and what your dreams are. And there are certainly people for whom sex is not important in their relationship and they can't have a loving and caring relationship. They can be parents, they can create a a dream life together. But then there's people who do find that sex is an important aspect of a romantic relationship. For one thing, it provides them a sense of safety, a sense of being together as a couple, a sense of knowing that they're not just parents, they're not just doers, that they are also lovers. And that includes being sexual with each other, seeing each other's sexual side, being expressive with each other. And that, again, kind of is at a minimum of what sex provides, but it also provides so much more. It's a sense of relaxation in, you know, personal relaxation. Like when you're having sex, you're relaxing, you're in pleasure, you are opening up to each other. And that is very important to people. It also provides, of course, like I said, a a point of connection as lovers, as opposed to just parents. It provides a space to play and let go in in an area of your lives where you don't have to do or or perform or produce something and it is a way to show care to each other it, and what i mean by that is to really literally take care of each other's bodies through pleasure it's also that you know it's the one thing you do together that you don't in a monogamous relationship, do with anyone else. Absolutely. It's the side of you that no one else can see. It's the thing that you do with each other that you don't do with other people. And again, it's something that you share. It's an experience, um, an aspect of yourself and each other that you share together. And it is very unique. Again, you can absolutely be without it, but when you have it, it adds a richness and another aspect to a relationship that nothing else with. There's no other substitute for it. You can't do it uh, by trying some other activity. It is a very unique thing that you you get to share with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if there's any data, but do people who are in sexual relationships, are they healthier? There is a lot of data that absolutely that they are healthier, but I wouldn't say that we want to compare Uh, People who are not having sex as unhealthy, because there's certainly couples that are very healthy, where, again, if they don't have a need to be sexual with each other, they can have a thriving relationship, but a certain kind of relationship that meets their needs, but it's not a sexual relationship. But what what sex does provide is absolutely a way to connect, which is healthy, a way to uh, relax and be in pleasure, which resets your body, which makes you uh, energized, which is healthy in many ways. And the unhealthy part comes from not so much having sex or not having sex, but the unhealthy part comes from denying what is actually true for you. And so obviously when we prepare or think about having children through to having children, 
through to um, then, you know, having had children, one of the things that changes probably the most is is the sex. Um, how does that change? Is there, I mean, again, this is probably what people talk about less than sort of um, sex before having children. It feels sort of more socially acceptable to be able to share that. Um, but um, how do you see that changing? Do we know how that changes? You know, even presumably the purpose of sex changes. The purpose of sex changes. And of course, the dynamic changes. So you're, especially with the first child, you're no longer just the two of you. There's now three of you. There is the needs of this, this baby, this helpless baby that, that needs so much. Their needs are primary and your needs individually and as a couple are secondary or tertiary. So the dynamic changes. And of course, sex changes too. We have less energy. You, you have less sleep. You are, again, taking care of a baby with its own needs. You are also still taking care of each other. So your energy is less, less to devote to each other, less to literally give in sex. And your body is different. Uh, even if you had a birth that did not affect you at all, still the hormones have changed and your identity as a woman has, has changed too. You're now a mother rather than just existing in the world on your own. So even with that, our, for example, vigilance starts just to go up. We, we know that there's a baby who's dependent on us. And so our brain adjusts to that and becomes more vigilant. Our bodies are more in fight or flight because, of course, again, worrying about what happens to the baby. All of that shifts the dynamic. It's no longer all fun and games and peaceful. There are all these different elements. And none of them are bad or none of them are uh, in any way damaging to sex. We just need to acknowledge that they're happening and that they're all normal and talk to each other about them so that they're not these huge elephants in the room that we're completely ignoring. Yeah, I suppose your body too has you know, a totally different function. It's there to keep your baby alive. You know, if you're breastfeeding your child, your breasts have gone from potentially a sexual object to a object that is is incredibly important to the life, the survival of your child. Exactly. And then there's the effects of also breastfeeding and being in close contact with a baby. And that's being overtouched. Overstimulation is a big problem for new moms, especially, but also for many moms and moms of multiple kids. Of especially young kids. So here you went from seeking stimulation, wanting sexual stimulation to all of a sudden being so overstimulated by touch and not wanting another hand on you. And again, all of this is normal, but it needs to be acknowledged and verbalized. And in a conversation with your partner, finding a solution, finding a way to connect that works with your needs today as opposed to trying to change your way, change yourself to the way you were before or pressure yourself to put up with it just because that's how it used to be. You have to find a new way to connect and that works for you today because anything else is unsustainable. Anything else will lead to resentment, will lead to your body kicking and screaming and saying, I don't want this. 
And of course, it's going to cause distance in the relationship. And I mean, it really starts to change sort of even with sort of trying to conceive, because very often, you know, sex has been something that's been spontaneous and exciting and fun and kind of frivolous, purely about joy. And then suddenly it changes into this purpose. And I think talking to couples who had hoped for a sort of very straightforward conception and then are maybe struggling to conceive, sex becomes, you know, there's an objective, which is more beyond the pleasure. And that's got to then change the dynamic significantly. Absolutely. And again, there's nothing bad about this or abnormal, but it's important to acknowledge it. It's It's important to acknowledge the pressure that both partners feel to make the sex be successful in terms of conceiving and all the things that show up for them. It may be performance uh, pressure or guilt or anxiety, just putting them out there between you, naming them and normalizing that this is hard, that sex with a goal is hard. It's hard to get in the mood, so to speak, for it. And it's hard to also maybe not be disappointed if it doesn't work out. So again, all of these are normal, but it's important to acknowledge them because that's how we get through stuff is acknowledging how hard it is and supporting each other through the hardship rather than staying quiet and kind of assuming that we can just roll with it. Yeah, it's communication, isn't it? (laughs) It's always communication. And during pregnancy too, I mean, again, there's this idea that women often are really into sex when they're pregnant, but that's not always the case, is it? There are some who are very, very into it, and then there are some who are not. And it it really depends on your biological makeup and stage of life and age and anything and everything. Um, And it really also depends on how you feel in your body. For some women, pregnancy makes them feel amazing. And for others who are throwing up several times a day, being sexual isn't something that comes out of that. So there's a full spectrum of what it looks like. And it's really about honoring your body, your experience, and working with it, not against it, not comparing yourself if you're throwing up and feel terrible comparing yourself to the women who feel on top of the world and want to have sex and thinking there's something wrong with you, that you're broken. You're not. Your body is just having a very different experience. And taking care of yourself in that place without that judgment and criticism, that's actually part of the solution to supporting yourself and finding your way to maybe some level of sexual expression in your relationship and feeling good about yourself and feeling healthy in yourself. And I mean, for uh, after giving birth, couples tend not to have sex for, you know, some weeks, sometimes it's sort of months, sometimes, you know, it's even years. But I suppose for me, what's really important is that women understand that actually their bodies have changed, but their hormones have changed. And also that their bodies who don't realize that contraception exists are desperately doing everything they can once they've just had a baby to make sure you don't get pregnant again. So it's almost like your hormones, these sort of uh, prehistoric hormones of ours or pre the pre-contraception hormone uh, can literally switch off our libidos. And it's that that's making you not want to have sex rather than the fact that you've just lost your mojo. Mm-hmm. And to add to all of that, to, to this part about the biological and physiological changes, you also have your emotional needs changing that you might need a different level of connection with your partner. Maybe before when it was easy and spontaneous, 
you didn't have to connect as much because you were already connected. But if you are exhausted and busy and worried, you need to connect to your partner first in a different way than it used to be. Or that you need to feel prioritized by your partner or you need to feel important to them before you can actually engage in any kind of physical sexual contact. And so we need to understand too that our emotional needs will change and that because the dynamic changes, it may look differently. You need, you might, again, need to connect to your partner in a different way. And by really not knowing about these changes, we skip over them and end up performing sex, end up doing what I call checkbox sex or friction sex, just kind of going through the motions to get it done and then realizing, wow, that wasn't very fulfilling. And naturally, your body is not going to want more of that. We are wired to want more of the pleasurable things, and we are wired to avoid things that don't feel pleasurable, that don't nourish us. And so, again, by skipping these very important emotional needs, we actually create the kind of sex that we don't want, that our bodies will, will reject and say no to. And, and that's not going to change through just getting on with gritting your teeth and get on with it. That's only going to change if you address what's actually going on. Absolutely. And what's even worse is when we just grit our teeth, bear it, uh, uh, in quotes, doing it for the relationship, doing it for our partners, we actually feel terrible about it. And that puts us out of integrity with ourselves. And that is one of the biggest libido killers for women. When we are out of integrity with ourselves and our bodies, we won't want to be sexual. It just doesn't literally resonate with each other. We have to be in integrity with ourselves. We need to like who we are and what we do in order for us to be sexual. And so again, um, saying no, saying yes to sex that doesn't work for you, will work against you. I want to understand a little bit more about why women feel kind of sexually broken so often after they've had their children. I know you've talked in the past about myths that seem to perpetuate. Can you explain why that happens so that we can understand it a little bit better? Yes. So these four myths are very prevalent in our society and it's everything that or it's the myths that all women really deeply believe in. I believed in these two. And yes, they very much affect mothers. So let me go through them one by one, if I may. The first myth is that my sexual desire should be spontaneous and I should be able to access it on demand the way my man does. And where this myth comes from is certainly looking at our men and also the way sexuality is portrayed in movies, in the media. And that is what we see usually happen in the beginning of a relationship. So you meet each other and the passion is so high, you can't keep your hands off each other. And it looks like all you need is that to rush into the bedroom, to be aroused, to be available for sex. And there you are, and you can orgasm in a couple of minutes. And that's just all so easy and flawless. And again, it does happen a lot in the beginning of a relationship, but this is what I call false advertising because we don't actually understand what's happening and we assume that it should just stay the same. 
And what's actually happening is that men have what's called spontaneous sexual desire, truly spontaneous, where their body can get aroused just from the thought of wanting sex. And within literally a couple of minutes, they can go from relaxed to hard and be available for penetration and orgasm. Just like that. It's a very linear process. It's a very spontaneous process. And of course, you see that in the beginning of a relationship. But normally women are slower to arousal and we have what's called responsive sexual desire. Our sexual desire is responding to a what I call a journey of stimulation and connection. We feel amazing when our partner's paying attention to us when, again, in the beginning of a relationship where they're calling us, texting us, thinking about us, sending us flowers, planning dates. We feel so attended to, so cared about. And of course, in the beginning, you were touching each other. You're making out, you know, you go to the movies and who cares about the movie? You are spending time making out in the theater. All of these things are happening, which are creating this arousal journey for the woman. And so it's natural for her to access sexual desire because in responsive sexual desire, our sexual desire comes at the end of the journey. It responds to the things preceding it. So all of this is happening in the beginning of a relationship. But in a long-term relationship, especially when you've had a baby, what is your libido responding to? It's responding to fatigue. It's responding to being overstimulated from all that touch. It's responding to putting a new baby's needs ahead of yours. And so it looks like the woman just broke down, literally like her sexual desire is gone and there's nothing broken about her. There's nothing wrong with her, but that her sexual desire works differently. And, and, and unless you're one of the women who, whose sexual desire is spontaneous, you're going to have to create different contexts for your sexual desire to come back online after having a baby, that it's not automatic. And it's certainly not going to look the way it looked in the beginning. So first thing is stop comparing yourself to your man because he most likely has spontaneous sexual desire. And the second piece is notice and connect to what's true for you and learn to meet your needs. Like I said, you might need more time to connect. You might need a different kind of touch or level of touch if you're overstimulated, or you might need more touch and need more time to access that sexual desire, more time to build that arousal first. And again, it's about understanding how your body functions and attending to your needs and staying in integrity with yourself. That's really important. Otherwise you will absolutely feel broken. So makes absolute sense, doesn't it? I mean, of course, you know, and we just don't think about sex like that. And I think we probably underestimate how influenced we are by Hollywood that, you know, there is this kind of like chemical reaction of like, we can't not have sex. And actually, you know, that's certainly not what it looks like after you've had a child. Exactly. And for most couples, it's not what it looks like after the first month or two that it really shifts. But yes, we, we judge ourselves for not having that Hollywood version for the rest of our lives. And we beat ourselves up and it actually causes disconnect. It causes problems with sex because you're 
expecting something that's unreal. And of course you, you will fail at it. And speaking about what's unreal, um, this is the second myth, which is that I'm a superwoman who can do it all and I can spend my energy on everything in my day, taking care of everyone, doing everything, and then crawl into bed exhausted and magically turn into a sex queen. <laughs> you know, when we put it together like this, you can see how crazy this is. But this is how how so many of us think and beat, and then we beat ourselves up. And we also then say yes to sex that doesn't work for us because when we're exhausted, we have nothing to give. The result is not going to be pleasurable or enjoyable. So it ends up being checkbox sex or friction sex or performance sex, like forcing yourself to perform. And again, that puts you out of integrity with yourself, but it also teaches your body that you don't respect it because you override it. When you're exhausted, you need to sleep. And maybe you need to receive pleasure. You need that massage where you can easily fall asleep afterwards. You need to be pampered when you're exhausted, not to give. And so, again, so many women will feel like they're broken just because they're not the super queen at the end of the day. And they will feel, of course, uh, when, when they're out of integrity, saying yes to sex that doesn't work for them, then they beat themselves up for, why am I not enjoying this? Why am I not wanting my partner? What's wrong with me? So it's like a double whammy here. The thing though is a lot of women also will experience their bodies shutting down and their libido turning off and starting to feel like I'm not really sexual. I don't want to be sexual. My body doesn't respond to, to any of this. And what I want to frame here is that that's actually healthy. That's healthy in response to what I just mentioned. You're exhausted. You're overriding your body. You are saying yes to something you don't want. You're putting yourself in these painful situations. And so the body shutting down, the libido shutting down is a very healthy response. But maintaining this, this isn't healthy for your relationship. It's not healthy to bring mere breadcrumbs of yourself to your partner. It's not healthy to uh, to be so exhausted at the end of the day because your needs weren't taken care of. It's not healthy to lie to yourself that it's fine, that I, that, that it's fine that I'm tired. I just, you know, I just, I will power through. And that this actually acts to destroy the relationship, not just your own integrity and self-esteem. So this is a very dangerous myth. And what about, you know, obviously having children is an exhausting thing. They are exhausting in its years of exhaustion, you know, having two under two. It's like I've pretty much wrote off that year. Is it not easier to just have that emotionless friction sex because you're just too exhausted to have the conversation that's the alternative and you actually just want to get to sleep as quickly as possible? And then when the children get older and life becomes a bit easier and you become a little less physically and emotionally drained, then you can kind of reconnect as a couple. Does that work or is that a terrible plan? Well, that sounds like a very, very logical plan. But the problem is that, yes, it might require a bit of effort up front when you're most exhausted, but then you create a relationship that gives to you, that feeds you. And what you've described is a recipe for avoiding a difficult moment up front but then 
having a relationship that drains you and drains you and drains and drains and drains you over the years. And what I see is many people follow the strategy again, because it sounds logical, but they get themselves to a point where the kids are in their teens, where they, they're a little bit more independent and they are, have just run themselves so ragged. They're so resentful at each other and themselves and that they simply give up. They're just too exhausted. And, and that's because the a relationship that's draining is draining. It actually, it seeps you out of energy and it does not give you hope. It doesn't give you energy. It doesn't nourish you. So that's, that's the, basically a mistake that people make thinking that it will get easier or we'll deal with it when it gets easier. But the problem is that those years end up being incredibly miserable and difficult and draining. So the solution is to, instead of having sex, try to connect in some way and try and nurture yourself so that you're physically in more of a strong position to be able to kind of enjoy sex and for it to be a really fulfilling thing. Absolutely. And th there's two sides to this, learning how what needs you need or learning what your needs are and learning how to meet them and involving your partner and, and sharing your needs with them and vice versa. That the key to having an extraordinary relationship, one that doesn't just survive, but thrives and that supports you and your partner, that requires you learning how to meet each other's needs and how to come from a full cup because then you can be the most amazing parents to your kids and you can achieve all the goals that you have in the rest of your life. And you're also modeling to them what a good fulfilled relationship is that is resp mutually respectful. Absolutely. And you're setting them up to then take care of themselves and their needs further when, when they're growing up. And so, yes, it's about putting your your oxygen mask on first and learning how to ask for that mask from your partner too, and creating a partnership around your needs. That one of the things that carry over from us being single is, and this is also Hollywood and the media really um, send this wrong message that we're independent, we don't need each other. But science shows that actually we thrive in attachment to other human beings. We need each other biologically and physiologically. And when we can be truthful about that, when we stop lying to ourselves that we can just do everything alone, we can actually make the relationship support us and, and mm -hmm. nourish us and make us bigger and better than if we were alone. Mm -hmm. That a thriving relationship is where you have one plus one equals 11. And you need partnership, you need communication. And again, you need your, to give yourself permission to not doing, do it alone, first and foremost. And what about the other myths? So I'll go through this really quickly uh, because they're kind of build on each other. The, the third myth is about uh, actually this, this uh, idea of needing each other. And the myth is that I should want to have sex with a man I love just because we're in love, just because I love him. But the problem is that it doesn't just happen because there's love. It happens when you feel connected, when you're spending time with each other, when you feel important to each other, when you share 
your hearts with each other, when you show care towards each other, and very literally, when you spend time with each other. When you're parents, your time with each other may be first thing in the morning when you wake up to a crying baby, last thing at night when you're dead tired and just want to uh, hit the pillow, and in passing throughout the day when you're handing the baby over or when you're talking about logistics or finances. That does not make for a romantic relationship. And so women's libido is responsive to our partners. Women's libido is responsive to what's happening in, in our relationship. So it's a myth that we can fix our libido and be totally okay and not involve our partners because our libido is in response to our partners. And so this is a myth. And the solution to it is understanding that sex in a long-term relationship is a couple's issue. You cannot fix it yourself. You can, of course, initiate starting to fix it, but you can't do it yourself. Your partner is a necessary element of it. And then the last myth is kind of putting these all together, right? Assuming that your desire should be spontaneous, assuming that you're a superwoman, assuming that you can fix it yourself, and then resorting to sex that doesn't work for you, sex that may be painful, sex that's disconnected, sex that is maybe too much too soon or too fast for you because it's on his timeline, and still expect your body to be thriving and you craving more of this. So the myth is that we can abuse our body by having bad sex and your body will be super excited for more. <laughs> it's ridiculous when we say it. However, again, it's all, it's what we all do. I've done this and I beat myself up for not wanting more of it. And the truth remains that if you engage in sex that doesn't work for you, you end up ruining your libido. You end up being out of integrity with yourself. And that translates into behaviors in the relationship, such as distancing from each other, complaining, uh, criticizing, feeling contemptuous towards your partner, arguing all the time. These behaviors come out of feeling truly out of integrity with yourself, being truly unhappy inside. And so, no, you cannot have bad sex and love it and want it. That we need to make sex work for us. We need to be able to shape sex to work for us by asking for what we want and need, by using our voices and involving our partners, that it really truly is a partnership in a long-term relationship. And especially when, we have, when you have kids, because it just, it adds extra complexity and uh, into the dynamic. And I mean, I can see absolutely how what you're saying makes complete sense. And actually to think anything different is crazy. But I think it's something that people, and listen, a lot of people won't even be listening to this podcast because they just don't want to engage about sex. And those people who are listening, I would suspect there are a large group of people who are like, well, I want to make it better. But, and I see what Irene is saying and I hear you, but I just don't really know how that works for me. Is that what you do is that you coach couples about how to kind of make sex work for them according to who they are and what stage of the life they are and I guess to guide them. Exactly. You know, I don't function by some kind of model of what sex should be. It's truly about helping the members of the couple understand themselves, verbalize what's important to them, and then 
once I also get that information, I help them learn how to make sex out of that, literally, like here are all the ingredients and how to connect in ways that would be pleasurable and connecting and safe and nourishing. So it's a very tailored process. It's it, and it's about listening and learning about each other first and foremost. And then, yes, I give them the tools. I set them up with practices where they learn about each other. I facilitate difficult conversations that they would not ever dare to have with each other and doing it in a safe space. Because what happens is that they don't feel safe often with each other or themselves. They're scared of what they might learn about themselves. So I create that safety for them and uh, enable that kind of connection over difficult topics. And do people come and see you as a couple or as individuals? I work primarily with couples, couples in a monogamous uh, long-term relationships. And I work with single women. And um, if a person is in a committed relationship, I can only work with them with their partner for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Sex in a long-term relationship is a couple's dynamic. It's a couple's issue. And so that's really important. But I do have an online program that I, my, one of my signature online programs that I offer for women uh, to do on their own. If they're not yet ready to bring their partner in, that they can um, do a self-learning course on that. In terms of, you know, thinking about the sort of next generation, because I think often as parents, you know, we want to operate you know, have a lovely life and and lead a, a, a rewarding life because of us, but also we want to model to our children that that's worth doing. Um, I do believe that if we talked about sex more and we had less stigma around sex and less shame about talking about our individual experiences and our individual desires, it would be more rewarding. Is that something you think that we should be talking to our children a bit more about? Or how, 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 how does that work? Absolutely. And I first want to say that this the point that you just mentioned, the desire to model things to our children is one of the top, top, top reasons why couples come to do this work. Certainly it's about personal fulfillment, but it's also sending the message and giving children permission to seek out what's really important to them and creating healthy, thriving, nourishing relationships. So super important, super important reason why people do this. And absolutely, look, we're born sexual. Actually, there's a lot of evidence that we are sexual before we're born, that through scans, they see that little boys have erections and little girls are, um, they move in such ways to also create pleasure to our bodies. So our bodies are inherently sexual and we seek out pleasure. And sexuality doesn't then just skip over the young age and, and turn on when we're 18. That sexuality is something that, again, starts before we're born and develops and develops. So, so much of our learning about sexuality comes from our role models. And also it comes from communication that doesn't have the creep factor in it. Like, you know, if, if you think it's weird, it's going to sound weird to your kids. So it's about learning to be really comfortable with talking about these and giving children permission to get to know their bodies, to enjoy pleasure, to connect, to ask for what they want. And this question itself, 
what is it that you want is one of the most important questions that we need to start asking our children from a young age. What does your body want? And this is especially true with girls because boys know, boys and men generally know their bodies better. Women and girls disconnect from our bodies more. So this question of like, what feels good to you? What is it that you want to happen? What would feel good to you? Those are really important to start from a very young age. And so that also young girls in particular learn to listen to their bodies and feel a sense of sovereignty, like that that their body knows what they need, not some external source, not their mother, not their, not the media, not their friends, but their bodies know what is right for them so that they can stand up for their bodies, stand up for their sexuality and what's important. So I can talk for hours about (laughs) sexuality in children, but all I want to say now is just how important it is to start role modeling and start having these conversations very early on, not necessarily about sex, but sexuality and connection to the body and pleasure and permission to say yes to things that you want and say no to things that you don't. And that admission that it's not linear. There's not a sort of one size fits all. We're all very different and our sexuality is all very, very different. And it develops at a very different rate. Some become sexual very early. Some become sexual very late. I was sexual very, very late. Um, Whereas again, some children will become sexual very early with themselves and all is normal. All of it is perfect and beautiful. And just, it's about learning to work with it. So Irene, um, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you do? You can find a lot about my work and my and me and of course a lot of ton- and a lot of resources on my website, which is irenefair.com. I have a free three video series that goes in more depth of, uh, into these myths. I also have a video about three types of sex. And that talks about the evolution of sex in a long-term relationship. So um, very related to the things that I talked about today. And there's a ton of free articles on the website, also supporting mothers, women, couples in making love and sex work in a long-term relationship. Oh, brilliant. Well, Irene, it's been so lovely talking to you. And I want to thank you for just talking so beautifully about something that so many people find difficult to talk about. Um, and I think that you're a real role model, actually. I think I really hope that when it comes, when my daughter and son are my age, that we find conversations around sex and what sex really means and what it really looks like easier, I think, than, you know, potentially our generation do, because I know not everyone finds it that easy. And it's not because it's difficult to talk about, it's because we've been told it's shameful or disgusting or private or, and actually, that's not particularly helpful. So thank you. Thank you for this rich conversation. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. Do also look through back episodes. We've had lots of brilliant conversations uh, with specialists as great as Irene has been today. Um, But in the meantime, from both of us, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.